0: To continue our series, but today we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about Sheol. And again, we'll just start with the two verses we take from Psalm 8. There's an old saying you've heard, I'm sure, many times. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And it's important, church, that we do take time to read the Word of God. I... Had a meeting with a few uh, friends, ministers from different churches, and one of them was telling us about uh, this very well known minister who you know, apparently has been to heaven again. And he was able to see the Father on the throne, and he was able to watch Jesus get in and out of the throne room. And this angel showed him around, and he had a chat with Abraham. And you know, one verse just blows that out of the water. but. The interesting question that morning from trying not to uh, debate doctrine sitting in a coffee bar, with a, which other people can hear us, uh, one question was asked This man's church is packed to the guilt. I mean, do these people not see what he's doing? And my answer to that was they don't know the Word of God. There's children in our Sunday school could put that minister, no harm to him, right? I mean, as I said, uh, the, the Word of God, one verse, no man hath ascended into heaven to save Christ. But apparently, according to him, everybody's up there and he's talking to them every time he goes up. But you see the you know, church, it's great reluctance that I'm not attacking the individual, but you need to say left is left and right is right. And then the Word of God does say that there'll be false prophets in the last days and the demons with lying tongues and people are being deceived today. And it's important that we know. I don't claim infallibility, and neither does the churches of God in Ireland claim infallibility. But we stand firm on the truths that God has revealed to us. We know that we're saved alone by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by our doctrine. But we do think it's important that we know it to equip the saints so that when people like this talk, they're not going to get carried away and be led down false roads. And so there's a word, Sheol, we're going to see it in a minute in the Bible. And it really <clears throat> tells us all about death and what happens at death. So, Psalm 8, 3 and 4. When I consider uh, thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the Son of man that thou visitest him? You know, church. <clears throat> Hell is seen today by many people, even non Christians, as a place of eternal torment for the unsaved. And near enough, every other religion believes this also. There's a place where the bad go for eternal torment. It's a punishment for disobeying God. And it is believed to be this horrible place where there is crying, where there's gnashing of teeth. And that at the point of death, the sinner goes straight to hell. You know something, church, it might surprise those of you that haven't researched it. The Bible does not teach this. It's very simple to find it. It does not teach this. You see, men, like we said last time we studied this, have distorted the Bible. And they have integrated pagan beliefs into Christian doctrine. And they have now become accepted as biblical truths. Now, the distortion of Scripture has two main influences. Firstly, there was the false teaching of the apostate church. Amen. In the Dark Ages, common people were not allowed to read the Scriptures. And so those in the pulpits of the day could say what they want and teach what they want, and their congregations could not challenge them, were not allowed to challenge them, because they were not allowed to read The scriptures themselves. The Bible was not allowed to be read in public. And the church leaders of the day were in ignorance of the truth. The apostolic faith of the New Testament church was distorted and denied and replaced by men's traditions and by the doctrines of the devil. As I said last week, hell became a weapon of fear. Fear. It became a weapon of fear because, as I said, it was the designation given to to an alleged deep hole uh, of eternal fire. And it was alleged that where sinners go here and heretics suffered, never-ending conscious torment in its fierce and unremitting fires. Hellfire, as I've said, became a powerful weapon of fear. The thought of it sent terror into those who opposed the church and ensured submission and allegiance to the church's authority and teaching. And back in the dark ages, there's testimonies, uh, 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 particularly uh, from men who were Jesuit priests, uh, and high during inquisition they, they did the horrible things they did in the belief that they and their families would be saved from this eternal torment. Young nuns in convents uh, flagulated themselves, believing that they could get their family out of this eternal torment. Torment. It was a weapon of fear that was put on people that they would be obedient to the church. The second influence uh, is used, the King James Version of the Bible. Now, I do love and prefer the King James more than any other uh, translation. But whilst the King James Version of the Bible is seen by many as the most accurate translation of the Bible that we have However, most Christian and Bible scholars agree that it is divine inspiration and infallibility of the original scriptures that we should stand for. So whilst we love, whilst we cherish the King James, we are aware of some of its shortcomings. And this was the task of the translators. While the translators' task was to accurately translate the Bible into English, they were influenced by the doctrines of the church age that they lived in. And one such false doctrine was immortal soulism and the eternal conscious uh, torment of sinners. So what really did the Old Testament tell us about hell? Well, the word hell appears 31 times in the Old Testament. That's it, we're talking King James here. In each of these texts, hell is translated from the Hebrew word sheol. And what most readers of the Bible fail to recognize is that the Hebrew word "sheol" actually appears 65 times in the ancient manuscripts from which we get the King James Version. 31 times it is translated as hell. 31 times it's translated as grave. And three times it's translated as pit. So we've got to ask the question then, folks why the translators translated the Hebrew word sheol in three different ways into the English English language. Anyone who desires to study hell in the King James Version, we're at a kind of a disadvantage as they'll only find less than half of the Bible references about hell or sheol. This can be compared... uh, the translator said this can be compared to asking a jury to come to a verdict where less than half the evidence has been presented to them. So, to see what the Bible actually teaches about hell, we have to look at more references to the Hebrew word sheol. We'll look at the first one who goes to hell? Now, you might think that it's easy because it's the bad, it's the wicked. It's the sinners, it's people who don't agree with us. You can have all different reasons of people you think goes to hell. Well, it says in Psalm nineteen, verse Psalm nine, verse seventeen, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And again, the word the translated there is Sheol, and all nations that forget God. In Psalm 31, verse 17, it says, Let, let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. And again, the word translated, their grave, is from Sheol. So in Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked are destined for hell. In Psalm 31, verse 17, they are destined for the grave. And yet, as we've seen, it's the same Hebrew word in both references. Another time, Sheol is used and translated with another word, and we go to the Jewish Study Bible. And that's Psalm 9, verse 17. And again, in the Jewish Study Bible, it's, it talks about, may the wicked die and they go to hell. And the word is Sheol. Now, Numbers 16, 31 to 33, we have the consequences of the rebel, rebellion sorry, of Korah. And says, And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses. And all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods, they all appertained to them, went down alive into the pit. And again, the word there is shield, And they <clears throat> went to the pit, and they perished from among the congregation. So why did they go into the pit and not help? Maybe their houses and their possessions went with them. Some tell us that only souls go to hell, the body goes to the grave, and all their possessions are left behind. Well, in number 16, 31 to 33, the word shield is properly translated as either pit or grave. So as we continue to look at who goes to hell, we find something that might surprise you. Because... It says that the good and the righteous go to hell. First mansion of Sheol is found in Genesis 37, verse 35. And all his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. For he said, for I will go down into the grave Sheol unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. This is Jacob speaking of when he heard that Joseph had died. Joseph's brothers had thrown him into a pit then sold him to slave traders and they told Jacob he was dead. What did Jacob respond by saying in his sorrow, I will go down to Sheol, the grave mourning. He expected to join Joseph, the innocent one there. He said, I will go down to the grave, Sheol, to my son Joseph. So why therefore was Sheol not not translated hell in this verse? Well, it would have been unthinkable to state that Jacob, God's covenant man, and his beloved son Joseph one of the godliest characters in the Bible should go to a lost sinner's hell. If Jacob and Joseph were sent to hell, this awful place, what would be the hope for the rest of us? The psalmist David, he said, "O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. And again, the word." Is Sheol. And again, we ask, why did they translate the word Sheol as grave and not hell as they did in other texts? Well, if they had have done that, this would have suggested that David, a man after God's own heart, was bound for hell. This would have presented a major dilemma because David, who claimed in verse 1 that Jehovah was his savior, was being sent to eternal torment. What about good King Hezekiah? In Isaiah 38, 9 to 10, the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness, I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave, Sheol. I am deprived of the residue of my years. I would suggest that it is evident church why they put the word grave and not hell in these verses, uh, not translating Sheol as, as hell. Too many questions would have been asked if Hezekiah's fate of death was to be in hell and to suffer the torments of eternal fire. You see, the Bible teaches church, all men go to hell. What is man, what man is that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? You see, this affirms the truth, the biblical truth, that death and the grave await all men and women. And we've quoted this in the three studies, as an Adam all die, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. So there's two notable facts about the hell of the Bible. There are two <clears throat> remarkable uh, quotes from the Psalms that are contrary to the eternal conscious torment theory. Psalm 139, 7 and 8. Where shall I go from thy spirit? Where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. It's difficult, church, to conceive that our loving God and Savior is a resident of such a horrible place. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. This is a promise, really, that not even death or the grave can separate us from the love of God. Because even there, he's promised to watch over us until that glorious day, when we are called unto glory. What about our Lord in hell? And Psalm 16, verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is a prophetic uh, psalm about the Messiah, which Peter spoke about in Acts 2, verse 27. Can anyone honestly say that Jesus, when he died, went to a place of burning fire, fiery torment and, and suffered that when he died on the cross? Acts 2, 28 to 32. That was made known known to me the ways of life. That shall make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. And his his grave is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he will raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before the resurrection resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This God hath raised up whereof we are witnesses. Now the translators here may have considered it more appropriate to have rendered Sheol as a grave, but to do so would have caused another problem for them. How could his soul be in the grave when the theory is that only bodies go to the grave? The soul... Uh, immortal soulism, believers tell us, is immortal. And although the dead body is buried, they tell us their souls continue to live on in heaven or in hell. So we go to the Wikipedia encyclopedia. It's not uh, uh, the the best encyclopedia you'll get, but for this here, uh, what it's saying, I agree with. At death, a person faced judgment by a tribunal of 42 divine judges If they led a life in conference with the precepts of uh, a goddess, Matt, who represented the truth and right living, the person was welcomed into the two fields. If found guilty, the person was thrown to a devourer and didn't share an eternal life. The person who was taken by the devourer is subject first to terrifying punishment and then annihilation. See, these are depictions of punishment and these influence medieval perceptions of the inferno and hell via early Christian and Coptic texts. Again, we stay in that uh, dictionary. In classic Greek mythology, below heaven, earth, and Pontus and Taurus, Taurus' Greek deep place, is either a deep, gloomy place, a pit or abyss used as a dungeon of torment, and suffering resides within Hades, the entire underworld, with Tartarus being the hellish component. Uh, again, Plato wrote that souls were judged after death and those who perceived punishment went to Tartarus as a place of punishment. It can be considered hell. We're going to Islam. And it says, The day of res- resurrection, also known as the day of reckoning, or less precisely the day of judgment, Islam teaches that on this day, all living things will be raised to life again and called in front of God for the final judgment. People will be divided. Some will uh, enter Jannah, which is paradise, and some will enter Jahannan, which is hellfire. The Quran describes this day uh, of one of happiness for the believers and terror for those who disbelieved in its existence. So these are the influences uh, in the medieval times And these are the influences which crept their way into Christianity and as I've said, are seen today as biblical. But there's some Christians, they've said this too. Jonathan Edwards, he said, those who went to hell in former ages of the world have been in hell ever since, all the while suffering torment. They have nothing else to spend their time in there but to suffer torment. They are kept in being for no other purpose. Now we've got to ask, church, if we can find anywhere in the Bible that describes this kind of hell, of everlasting torment to which there is no end. Some try to tell us that it'll be the lake of fire that Satan and all will be thrown into, and we'll deal with that at a later study. But for now, it's suffice to understand that when the Bible uses fire, it's totally and utterly destroyed. It's not continually, continually uh, burning pain. It burns it away and it is no more. So why did the uh, translators change uh, the meaning uh, of uh, Sheol from pit or the grave? Well, this is an important question and the answer is not hard to find because the error was to translate it hell in the first place with its connotations of everlasting misery and torment. So what is the true meaning of Sheol? For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with their increase and sat on fire the foundations of the mountains. And the Jewish study Bible states that Sheol was the abode of the dead, not a place of damnation like the latter idea of hell. In the old covenant, Sheol indicated uh, the unseen resting place of the good and the bad who had departed this life. In other words, it it described the condition of death. One man we can draw from, Job 17. He said, My days are past, my purposes are broken off, even the thoughts of my heart. They change the night into day, the light is short because of darkness. If I wait, the grave is my house. I have made my bed in the darkness. I have said to corruption, Thou art my father, to the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. And war is now my hope. For my hope who shall see it? They shall go down to the bars of the pit. When our rest together in the dust. You see, in death, life's continuity is broken, as is the ability to remember. In seal in the grave, there is darkness, it is a place of sleep, it is a place of rest. It's a place of corruption where the body is destroyed and returns to dust. Job twenty four. Uh, drought and heat consume the snow, waters, so doth the grave though so does the grave those who have sinned. The womb shall forget him. The worm shall feed sweetly on him. He shall be no more remembered and wickedness shall be broken as a tree. I've quoted some of these verses before, but let's see them again. Psalm 6 verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? That word grave is translated from Sheol. Psalm 31 verse 17. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. So in all of the scriptures mentioned, there is no reference whatsoever to endless torment. There is no mention of the angry screams, uh, the cursing of the damned, and no indication of unceasing torment and misery. There is silence in the grave, and the end of life and all activity. No remembrance of things past, Unconscious. It's an unconsciousness which is described as sleep or death. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thy goest. Isaiah thirty eight ten. For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. You see, church, nowhere in the Bible does it state that the dead, those in shield, are to suffer pain or experience torment torment, or conscious punishment. And again, it's a verse we'll deal with next time, but you will get that verse uh, where, where Jesus talks about Abraham and Lazarus and Abraham's comforting Lazarus in his bosom and they're looking down into hell. And really, church, my answer to that very briefly, but we'll go into it deeper, Is is that really what they think heaven is like? that we can sit in heaven, be comforted by Abraham, but we can look down and see those we knew suffering, screaming, burning, in terrible pain. Church, that's not my picture of heaven or not my picture of what God would do for mankind. Nowhere in the Bible does it state there's eternal torment or conscious punishment. Many scholars state that the 65 verses of the Bible Uh, which mention Sheol, are not describing the detention center of the disembodied souls or the spirits of the wicked. Sheol describes the death state or the condition of death that is common in both the righteous and the unrighteous alike. They further agree that hell is a wholly unsuitable translation of the Hebrew word Sheol and believe that gravedom is the proper and most appropriate English translation of this Hebrew word some contradictions for those who believe again in an eternal torment. If them were to be inserted into the 65 verses where Sheol appears, and this would not only ensure uniformity, but it would give true meaning, it would probably remove completely all the falsehoods, contradictions, and problems that confront the reader and student of God's word when studying the state of the dead. death. Also, if unscriptural doctrines that have been associated with the English word hell were stripped away in the original meaning and use of the word recognized, then its true meaning would be seen to be more in keeping with gravedom. John Fox, he said, do Christian people today realize just what or where is the place that they traditionally refer to as hell? The name hell emanating from a strange old English Saxon word, helle, means a hole or a pit in the grave. It is derived from another Saxon word, helen, helan, which means to cover or conceal, and it represents a covered place or place of concealment or burial. The word "helmet" is also derived from the same root word referring to that which covers the head. In an old English house, when it was roofed in, it was said to be hailed, and the tiller or slater or thatcher was known as a hellier, hellier. In some parts of England, the expression helling is still used for burying, also for covering turnips and vegetables against frost, the objects being out in a hole, a pit or a grave, and then covered with earth, and they're left to lie. It's sad that in translation, misleading words are used in an attempt to uphold the middle-aged heresies of immortal soulism and eternal torment. The church of the Lord has been presenting to the world an erroneous and harmful doctrine of hell that portrays our gracious and merciful heavenly Father, the author of our salvation, as one who will commit innumerable sinners to unremitting fires of hell, to suffer eternal torment day and night forever and ever. Church... The Bible does not teach that. It teaches that sheol or the them will be destroyed. Hosea 13, verse 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will, grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So the meaning of this text is clear, church. God says he will destroy sheol, hell, grave, pit, I will be thy destruction. How will he do it? He will do it by redeeming them from death. This is a prophetic forecast, forecast of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 1, 18, 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as, as a lamb without blemish or without spot. So we're redeemed by his blood at his first coming at Calvary. Romans 8, 23. Not only they, but ourselves also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And again, this will take place at the Lord's second coming. This is the Father's will, John six thirty nine. which has sent me. Of all that he hath given me, I should not lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So we have resurrection on the last day. And it says uh, that verse, uh, chapter we quote often, First Corinthians fifteen. I show you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, uh, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Changed. For this corruption, corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And there's many other verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Revelation 20, 13 and 14 talks about the sea giving up their dead and death and hell cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 4, and 5 says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow nor crying, for the former things are passed away. There shall be no more death. There should be no more grace. Church, when someone dies, as we all will, that the Lord returns. We enter our grave and there we enter asleep, as it were, until the Lord returns. And the important thing is, we need to understand there's no repentance in the grave. There's no conversion after the last breath is drawn. I quoted Pastor Conley the other week. He always said, when you're dead, you're dead, and that's it. The Bible clearly teaches that, uh, <clears throat> that when we die, whether converted or unconverted, whether believers or unbelievers, whether godly or ungodly, so will, we will be when we rise again at the sound of, of the last trumpet and you know church when you read that statement there from him like I said to you before there are people believe that they can do specific deeds and suffer specific torments to keep their families out of hell hell was a, a weapon of fear this place of eternal torment and yet the bible doesn't teach it and like I said at the start with this creature who's telling his congregation he's going to heaven and they're buying it don't take my word for it research the word of god yourselves what i presented you today is not an opinion it's verse after verse after verse verse after verse which correlates together and teaches us that when you die you enter your grave there's no thought there's no time there's no concept of time You'll lie there until that trumpet sounds. And then the dead in Christ shall rise. The dead in Christ shall rise. So we're not all up there, church. And I know there's some verses people can tell you which contradicts what I've taught today, but we're going to look at them verses and they they don't contradict. They're totally mistranslated. So our trust is in God. And we need to be right. And that's the most important thing of anything I've said today. Before you die, you need to be in a right relationship with God because as you can see there, and I agree, there's no repentance in the grave. There's no conversion after the last breath is drawn. You die a redeemed believer, you will rise in Christ a redeemed believer. You die a sinner, you will rise a sinner. And that will be the end of it. So church, let's all read the word of God for ourselves. Let's have an answer for people, not an argument for people. Let's have an answer for people as to what we believe. I have some really good friends who believe you go to heaven and we're still really good friends. We don't agree, but we're still really good friends because as I said, that crying does not save you. But I want to be able to say from the word of God, this is where I stand on the matter. And I believe with all my heart that indeed... Death is death and that's all there is to it. I don't believe in eternal torment and I don't believe you go to heaven. I believe Jesus is coming back here, by the way. As one of our old preachers was once asked, I think it was James Versailles, and they asked him, what's what's it gonna be like for him when he goes to heaven? And James says, I'm not going to heaven. And the the minister he was speaking to was very shocked. He says, what do you mean? He says, well, what's the point in me going to heaven when everybody's gonna be on earth but Jesus. So the Lord's coming back to call us to rule and to reign on this earth for eternity. And you need to be ready. You need to be in that right relationship with God so that if you're alive, when that trumpet sounds, or whether you're dead, you will meet the Lord. And it's our prayer in this church that you are indeed in that right relationship With the Lord. And if we can help you in any way, please come and talk to myself, Pastor Peter, as the musicians come back, and the elders.